I'm into Bitcoin because of the possibility to support human rights and support people's lives. So it actually has strengthened uh, the idea of that it is a good tool for that. Hello there. How are you all? How are you all managing this lockdown? I've been asking this every week, really, but I do hope you're all doing okay. I know it's a lot of stress for a lot of people. I hope you're all keeping safe and healthy. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, the number one Bitcoin podcast in Bedford. show is brought to you by Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got a bonus interview with my friend and one of my favorite Bitcoiners in the whole world, Anita Posh, discussing her recent trip to Zimbabwe. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. So first up, let's talk about BlockFi, my longest ever sponsor. Been with the show now for coming up to two years, which is amazing. So massive thanks to them for supporting the show. And I recently just recorded a show with Zach and Flory, the co-founders of BlockFi, to talk about how they manage the recent market craziness, how they manage risk. It's a very interesting show, definitely worth checking out. They have had an amazing couple of years since they've launched. They've also just raised another 30 million to keep growing their business, to keep growing their Bitcoin financial services. Now, with BlockFi, you have access to their interest accounts, which lets you put your Bitcoin to work and earn monthly interest payments. And they also have their crypto back loans, which allow you to access liquidity without selling by using your crypto as collateral. You can unlock up to 50% of the value of your assets in USD. They've also got their mobile app coming and their SATS back credit card, which I cannot wait for. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then please do your own research and head over to BlockFi.com which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, we have the mighty Kraken, who puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. And in these strange times, when governments are printing unprecedented amounts of money, many are considering Bitcoin as an insurance. I've seen it myself. I've had a few friends come out to me recently, and they're like, Peter, tell me about this Bitcoin thing. So I've been sending them over to my beginner's guide and then tell them to go to Kraken and get on board. Get on board the Bitcoin train. Now, there is no better place to buy Bitcoin than Kraken. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and buy your first Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app. So you can buy Bitcoin on the go, whether you're sat in the garden or out for a walk, trying to get through this lockdown, you can trade Bitcoin wherever you are with Kraken Pro. And now, with their world-class security, they are the most trusted exchange on the market. And with their 24-7, 365 customer support, they can help you out with any issues, whoever you are and wherever you are. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. So if you want to find out more, head over to Kraken.com or download the app, which is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. All right. So onto the show today, and I am catching up with Anita Posh, a fellow podcaster who hosts the Bitcoin and Co podcast. Also, someone who's become a good friend of mine. I'm just one of my favorite people in Bitcoin. Always love talking to Anita. Always love catching up with her. Don't know when I'll see her next, so it might just be over soon, but I do love catching up with her. Now, just before the coronavirus outbreak, really took off. Anita spent three weeks traveling through Zimbabwe, giving talks and finding out how Bitcoin is being used in the country. And after my traveling through South and Central America, and in particular Venezuela, I've been really keen to get further afield to less traveled countries to find out how Bitcoin is being used away from the Western experience. 
Anita and I actually discussed trying to meet up together in Africa, but we couldn't make our schedules align. So I was going to end up being there. Well, I was meant to be there right now. I was going to be there for most of April. But with the coronavirus, all my travel plans have been halted. Now, when I was in Venezuela, I actually found my experience to be different from typical Bitcoin narrative. For the majority of the population, it's just about survival and feeding their families. And they would much rather have access to, well, they have a need more, a need to access bolivars or the US dollar, much more so than Bitcoin. Also, the certain nuances of Bitcoin from key management to price volatility make it unusable for some of the poorest in Venezuela and therefore probably some of the poorest in the world. Now, Zimbabwe, like Venezuela, is often touted as a perfect use case for Bitcoin. Both countries have experienced hyperinflation. Both have a significant wealth disparity and both have a high percentage of the population, which is unbanked. So... Is Bitcoin more widely adopted in Zimbabwe? Can Zimbabweans take advantage of it? And this is why I wanted to talk to Anita. I wanted to see if there are any parallels between her experience there and mine in Venezuela. So these shows, these Bitcoin Around the World shows, they don't tend to do as well as my other shows, but I do think they're important subjects. I think it's really important to understand how people are or can use Bitcoin in other countries. Now, if you enjoy this show, if you've got any questions, please do feel free to get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or anything. You want to reach out to me for anything. I've had so many emails over this last couple of weeks. It's really good to hear them. And not all of them are positive. You know, I had some criticism of recent shows. Somebody was criticizing that I swear a bit too much. I'm sorry about that. I will try and cut it down. But I like them. Doesn't matter, good or bad. Feel free to reach out to me. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. You just want to talk about football. That's okay. Whatever. Just reach out to me. It's great to receive these emails. I love hearing from you. Also, if you want any other content, please do check out my other show, Defiance. That's it, defiance.news. You can also check out my films. Again, any feedback on those would be great as well. Listen, I hope you're all doing well. I hope you've had a nice weekend and let's catch up soon. Hello, Anita. How are you? Hi, Peter. I'm fine. Thanks. And you? Not not bad, thank you. Just getting used to this new world of being locked in a house inside yeah. a personal prison. So you're in Austria. How are things there? Uh, how, are, how are you coping with all this? Uh, I'm coping quite good because I'm really used to work from home. Uh, so it's not very much different for me. We are still allowed to go outside to do like uh, small walks uh, only alone or with your partner or the people who live in your house. The supermarkets are still fine. From this week on, it has been said that we may have to use masks when we go to the supermarket. And I think the, the, the curve of new infections has slowed a little bit down. But we'll see. I think it will take uh, longer. Yeah. So, uh, and we're coping fine. Yeah. So, home office is okay as long as I'm allowed to go outside. Yeah. We're two weeks now in, and I think it will be some more weeks. Okay. And you and I, previous to this, have both been zigzagging across the world. I was out in South America, and you were in Africa, getting into yeah. the weeds, trying to meet people. Um, using Bitcoin in, in places outside of our, let's say, more cosy Western first world lifestyles, actually seeing how people in developing countries are doing it. And I've had some experiences and you've had some experiences. But let's let's start where this all started for you, the, like the decision you made to travel out to Africa. What, why did you want to do it? 
Uh, yeah, that goes a long while back, actually. I can remember when I was about 20 or something, I always thought about going to Africa to do, I don't know what, you know, but uh, to do something there. It, I was always interested in. And then uh, many years ago, I met a friend, now a friend, um, and uh, she went to Zimbabwe. And she's living uh, half of the year, the year there, so for the last three years. And she was there in the 90s. And I always thought it would be nice to go to Zimbabwe to see how li the life is there and how people, how the, 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 the living situation is there and stuff. And then when I got into Bitcoin, of course, the topic of Zimbabwe and Venezuela, countries with a hyperinflation, that this would be the countries where Bitcoin would make the most sense. And I always thought to myself, yeah, I mean, that's interesting, but do people really use Bitcoin there? I mean, I just wanted to see for myself, you know, And uh, end of last year, I thought maybe now is the right um, situation or time to go there. And so I started this uh, project actually to do this audio documentary. Okay. And how did you choose the actual places you wanted to go to? To be honest, I've chosen it by chance. Or how do you say that? Um, where my friend took me <laughs> she lives in Harare mm -hmm. and uh, she, because you can't travel alone there or I couldn't you know I mm -hmm. mean the streets you can't rent a car like you think you go somewhere and rent a car that's not possible uh, there's no public transport I mean there is public transport but it's not for people like me you know there are no signs on the street you don't know where you would have to go I mean okay there's Google Maps but you have no road signs so actually you really need someone to take you somewhere and so she took me from Harare which is the capital of Zimbabwe to Bulawayo which uh, is a, um, a city north of uh, Harare and then we went to Victoria Falls and oh, um, that that was great yeah And uh, so I saw something from the countryside too because being only in the city is quite different to see the country, you know. Okay. Did you also only go with an interest in Bitcoin or were you out there also observing other things? I know of, I, I, I'm pretty sure you have an interest in LBGT rights globally. Was that an, another thing you were also observing or was it just Bitcoin? Uh I wasn't really observing that. I mean, I'm living in that, you know. Uh, so yeah, I know. Well, we've, we've spoken <laughs> I, I, about it no, before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can talk about it. I mean, the, in my first episode, in the first part of my Zimbabwe documentary uh, on my podcast, I'm also talking about uh, the situation when Rob Robert Mugabe still was... Uh, president of Zimbabwe uh, he had he was a he was a homophobe and he said mm -hmm. that uh, uh, homosexuals are worse than pigs so the situation in general for human rights and free speech are disastrous I mean Zimbabwe is a country there is no free speech and as such it's also for LGBTIQ people difficult but people live it you know so um My friend is a lesbian too. She didn't really hide it because in the surroundings, you know, her friends, they all know it. And also, I don't know, I, I asked her how she's dealing with that because I also thought that might be difficult in a way. Uh, but she said it's not that difficult. I mean, 
how shall I say that? We have to live with that everywhere. Uh, in many countries in the Western world, it's better, but it's still, we are just a minority, actually. Is that a fear for you when you travel? Um, I, I know, I, so I know things are very different in the likes of the UK, the US, most of Europe. Things have changed a lot. Um, there's a lot more acceptance, a lot more equality with regards to your own personal freedom choices, free speech, etc. But as you mm-hmm. travel into different parts of the world, is it something you personally have to have a different kind of awareness of or, or, or careful about or think about? And if the yeah. question's ignorant, apologies. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's everywhere. I mean, it starts when you're a, you're a woman, uh, you're looking you're looking at the streets in another way. When you walk the street, you yeah. always think in, at night, you always think about, okay, there comes a guy, he's alone, that's weird. I, I go to the other side of the street. Mm-hmm. So it starts with being a woman. And then, uh, yes, of course, I mean, I, to be honest, I still don't really dare to touch my girlfriend when I'm out, also in Austria. I don't want, I, okay. I, yeah, I'm, but that's my personal thing, you know. Okay. I'm, how shall I say, maybe I'm too scared uh, or I'm just too aware of the bad things that can happen and I don't want to put myself out. Yeah, no, so, I understand that. Yeah, and so, of course, even more in countries where you know that the LGTB rights are not good, of course, I mean, I'm I'm more aware there too, yeah? So, it's, it's for me, it's not uh, um, normal in a way. <laughs> or I'm not used to to touch my girlfriend outside, and I wouldn't do that even more in Zimbabwe. Yeah. So okay. Interesting. That's that's a stress permanent, actually. Okay. Interesting to know. All right. Yeah. Because I was actually meant. You know, I was meant to be going out to Africa as well I, mm-hmm. um, at a similar time. Ended up going to South America, but one of the places I was going to be going to was Uganda, mm-hmm. um, which obviously has a, a an issue with regards to gay rights as well. So I, I mm-hmm. wasn't aware as whether this is something you uh, are observing at the same time in your traveling. So yeah, that's kind yeah, of yeah. interesting. Okay, yeah. so y- you went out to Zimbabwe. You had three weeks out there. T- talk talk me through some of the things you, you did, the people you met, and some of your experiences. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So I came. I was most of the time I was in Harare, and then we did this road trip. And in the last days, I went then to Botswana. So in Harare. I was learning by doing in a way, you know, because I wanted to know, to to learn how people have to live there and uh, to see and also learn from them in the end what Bitcoin, how how they are using Bitcoin at the moment, if if they use it and what would be something that we as Westerners could learn from them so that Bitcoin can be adopted better in Africa or in Zimbabwe. So I did talk to many people like I talked to a human rights activist, I talked to uh, two Bitcoin traders or cryptocurrency traders, I talked with a woman who's a teacher and headmistress and also, also she's into digital, how shall I say, uh, she, she calls herself a digital entrepreneur and yeah, all of these people showed me different aspects uh, of life and uh, how it is. And and the situation, it starts with like the water, you know. There is no water. In some uh, areas of town, 
you have water, but that's when you live close to the hospitals or close to the areas where the political elite lives. Then you have water and electricity. If you don't live there, you don't have water, so you have to like save the rainwater and shower in that one, or you have to buy water and every two weeks with a tank the water comes to you. But still, you have to pay the water bill. Uh, the same with electricity. Where I lived, we only had power from 11 p.m. to around 4, 5 in the morning. That means that people have to work by night because if you cannot afford a solar panel and an inverter, you have to work by night. You have to cook by night. You have to iron by night, whatever, you know. So, What does that mean in terms of their phones? Do they have to be very prepared to, with when they charge their phones? Yeah, sure. You you have to charge your phone overnight. Otherwise, you don't have power. Or the same with the internet connection. You never know when you have internet or not. And and it's expensive. Not everybody can afford internet, you know. And uh, that's also very interesting, actually, because for Bitcoin wallets, people, most people don't have the money to buy an open internet account, meaning uh, to use everything. They can't surf the web because they only have a WhatsApp bundle, for instance, or a social media bundle. So most people have those bundles and they are just not able to download a Bitcoin wallet, for instance. So, so that's, that's a big thing, actually. And um, coming back to the situation, the living situation, when I was there and the months before, and I'm quite sure it's the same now, you can't get petrol so everybody is depending on cars because you don't have trains or something like that. Everybody is depending on a car and uh, there's no petrol. So people queue for hours. They queue overnight in front of the petrol station, never knowing when there will be petrol again. But it's a supply so, issue, not a price issue. It's a supply issue, yeah. Mainly, it's a supply issue. And the, the, the thing is, the question is, or maybe it has two reasons. One is that uh, they don't have US dollars to buy petrol from outside. And the second as, as, uh, assumption is, I mean, that it's on purpose, that there is a, like a political mafia, and I was told that there is, They drain everything out of the country, you know, all the, the natural resources, everything this country has is going to the political elite. And um, it's the same with medical supplies and stuff. You know, I, I read a tweet today where somebody said our government has more Land Rovers and SUVs than we have uh, COVID tests. So, and with this Corona crisis, even more, it's even worse, you know. I mean, people have nothing there, and now this comes in. So, yeah. Well, we'll, come, we'll come to that. I've actually got a show yeah. coming out today on defiance about uh, coronavirus in Kenya and the mm -hmm. rural time bomb that's about to hit Africa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just talk to me about what is the state of the economy now post-Mugabe? Has the currency stabilized at all in any way at all? Mm -mm, no. So, uh, the, when I came, the official exchange rate from the so-called RTGS, 
So that's the SIM dollar. It's the official currency at the moment. It's called RTGS, which is actually a little bit funny because it's called, it's really called real time cross settlement. So it's the money on your bank account. To US dollar, when I came, was the official bank rate 1 to 17, and the rate on the street was 1 to 23. Two and a half weeks later, the rate on the street was 1 to 40 or 35 or something. So only in two and a half weeks, the currency lost a lot of value in just this short time, which leaves people who only have RTGS behind, of course. If you have access to US dollar, everything gets cheaper. If you only have RTGRS, everything goes more expensive day by day. And um, the average income is about 200 US dollar a month or 200, 300 US dollar. But I also got to know people and that's the, the, the bigger part of Zimbabweans. They don't have any formal job. So I think 90% of the people in Zimbabwe don't have any formal job. So they live from hand to mouth. And um, they use EcoCash. EcoCash is something like M-Pesa. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's mobile money on your phone. And the great thing with uh, EcoCash is you can use an old Nokia phone or a smartphone and you don't have to pay in advance. So you can earn EcoCash on your mobile phone if you have nothing on your phone. You know what I mean? There's yeah, but no. What, what what is the what is the currency itself? Is it its own currency or is it? Yes. So they have the currency which is called RTGS or Zimbabwe dollar. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, when I came, it was said it's only allowed to use RTGS. But when I went to the border and at the and got my visa and I had to pay, I had to pay forty US dollar for it. So government well, of course, fees. They want the dollar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How so dollarized then, is the economy? Because in Venezuela, it sounds very similar to my experience in Venezuela, yeah. in that there is the Bolivar, you have to have and you have to use the Bolivar, but there is a, a lot of people using the dollar. I imagine the government used the dollar quite a bit. Uh, certainly in East Caracas, in the wealthy area, people want the dollar. So people want the dollar, but they also have to have the Bolivar and use that as well. Is that similar? Exactly, yeah, sure. People want the dollar. They they know the differences. They know that the dollar can retain its value. I mean, they've lived so, through so many changes in their currency. Uh, like in 2016 or something, I may be wrong with the year now, the government said no more US dollar. You are not allowed to use US dollar anymore. And they changed the US dollar accounts of people into RTGRS, RTGS accounts at par, at one-to-one. And they said, it's one-to-one, don't worry, you know. But of course, people knew that these RTGS will, will lose its value and now it's just one to 43. So they are forced to use RTGS because they have to pay school fees in RTGS, for instance, or public transport with these small minibuses. But of course, they would rather have US dollar, but US dollars is more a thing of the middle class, you know, the, the people who earn more. The, the general public, they won't never get US dollar, you know. 
So okay. and the the dollarization, I wouldn't say. Um, I have more the the feeling that there are no dollars around, you know. So they don't have dollars to buy stuff from abroad. And uh, yeah. And if if pe- most people don't have a formal job, did you did you say the percentage? Yeah, I think it's ninety five percent or something. Okay, so what does the daily survival look like? How are people coping, getting by? They they making hustle. money, getting food. It's it's all a hustle. It's all a hustle. Every day a hustle. I mean, people buy handkerchiefs in the supermarket and then go outside on the streets and sell it there, okay. or they roast corn cobs on the side of the streets or something like that. So it's really a hustle day by day. Right. Okay. And, and is that is that just street markets? Is it similar to almost uh, any developing country I've been to, where a lot of the kind of street markets pop up, and it's pers- yeah, a lot of person to person trade? Yes, of course. It's person to person street markets. People are standing on the side of the street selling fruits and stuff, or or things that they've collected and rebuilt. Or I also saw people selling. How is it called in English? Oh. Small swimming pools, you know, you can blow them up. They they sell it on the side of the streets. So it's yeah, I think it will. It's comparable, yeah. Right. And what what I want to say also to the currency, one of the problems is also you can't get hold of bond notes. Bond notes is the paper money, and you can't get them. It's difficult. The people queuing f- uh, in front of banks to get bond notes. There is no money in the ATMs, for instance. Up until 2015, there was uh, money in the ATMs, but now they are empty. So, and and also people don't use credit cards because it's so difficult to to get money out of the banking system again. You know, you can collect money with a credit card, like if you are a pizzeria or a restaurant, you can use it to get money to earn it. But the hassle hassle to get the money back out uh, as paper money or as US dollar is so high that they don't do that. So credit cards are not accepted in in most of the uh, shops or restaurants. Nobody's using them. Wow. What about the elite? So again, when I went to Venezuela, there is the majority of the population and then there is the, the middle and upper classes who are coping and getting by are the elite government workers or is there private businesses that also ha- are not struggling such as, as these kind of lower classes are? Um, this is just like a guess, you know. Yes, it's true. There is also the, the big part of the general population hassling every day. Then you have a, a middle class. I think they also hassle, but uh, most of the times I think they have jobs with bigger corporate co- uh, companies or banks and stuff. And there are many people, I think, who live from money from outside, like international workers, workers uh, or, or uh, employees from uh, agencies like the UNO or, or uh, health organizations, you know. And then there is the political upper class. I think they, they really live off the people, you know, they they uh, rip them off. I mean, I, I we were at the vegetable stand and bought some fruits and there was a guy and I said to him, because it's also a thing, 85% of all transactions are digital mm-hmm. and 
and the government takes a 2% fee on every digital transaction. So right. it's uh, even if you're rich or poor, you pay this 2%. And this guy said to me, they are ripping us off. So the government is ripping us off. And I think that's the yeah. thing that happens. It sounds so similar to Venezuela in that you have a local currency which is struggling and losing value due to inflation on a weekly basis. You have people wanting the dollar but you know, struggling to get access to it, but they definitely want it. You have a huge amount of inequality. You have an elite who are essentially corrupt and using the nation. But you also, you also said, which is something that surprised me in Venezuela, is the majority of the economy is digitized in terms of the money. Most people are using digital money and not physical money. And I think one of the reasons that it exists as well, and it maybe it's similar in Zimbabwe, is that people the, 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 the money is inflating so quickly, it's too expensive to keep reprinting and uh, chopping zeros off, off, the, off the notes. So it's much easier to digitize the, the money. And I imagine that's, it sounds a really, really similar situation. Okay, so based on that, what was your experience specifically with Bitcoin? Where is it being used and how is it being used? So my experience was that, that everybody I talked with almost knows what Bitcoin is. Mm -hmm. um, from, let's say it that way, the white people I talked to, many, or some of them, also have a history with Bitcoin. They went into it like in 2016, 2017, when there was the hype. So they know about it. Some of them also hold it. And I have not met someone, to be honest, from the white people now, from the Europeans or Americans, who told me that they would use it, use it for foreign, uh, to buy something or to pay something. But... I've met with those two to three people who already use Bitcoin. So there's one uh, online entrepreneur. He told me he got into Bitcoin uh, 2013 or something when he was researching about possibilities to earn money online. So he's doing online marketing now. And he also has a knowledge, a good, a very good knowledge about Bitcoin. I'm, I, I, I also have uh, interviewed him. And he's using it to earn money, yes. So he's doing digital work, affiliate marketing for companies abroad, and he earns in Bitcoin. And he also wants to earn in Bitcoin because, of course, he knows about the differences of Bitcoin to their local currency. And what I found interesting is that the usage of Bitcoin there, of course, people need US dollar or local money to buy things to pay their rent. So I think you also talked about that uh, in South America. It's the same. People need the US dollar. They can't hold Bitcoin. They can't save, you know, because they need it to, to, for their daily lives. So the possibility to exchange Bitcoin to US dollar or local currency is very important. And people do that peer-to-peer. Because in Zimbabwe, the regulation says cryptocurrency is bad. It's outlawed, actually. And they shut down the only exchange that there was in, in, in Zimbabwe, which was called Golix. They shut it down. So people exchange in peer-to-peer -peer groups. Like they have WhatsApp groups or Facebook groups. 
And there they exchange Bitcoin to US dollar or local currency. Next up, I talk to Anita more about Bitcoin in Zimbabwe. But before that, I have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, let's talk about sportsbet.io and a big thanks to everyone who joined the premier What Bitcoin Did Poker Tournament we had a couple of weeks ago. We had over 500 registered, which is amazing, and I'm going to be getting them to do another one. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, sportsbet.io. Do you know who these are? They are the people who put a Bitcoin logo on a Premier League shirt. Yes, millions of people watching football around the world see Bitcoin every week when Watford go out and play. Now, we haven't been able to do any sports betting recently, which is a shame. Haven't been able to rely on my banker betting on Tottenham to lose each week, but it looks like we might be getting football back soon. Even behind closed doors, we might be getting it back soon, which is great. Now... At sportsbet.io, they have so many different options for you Bitcoiners to be betting. If you want to get out there, they do have some sports up there. They've got Russian ping pong. They've got eSports, including eFIFA. They've got their Bitcoin casino and my favorite, the poker rooms. But I'll be honest, I can't wait for football to get going. I can't wait to stick some Bitcoin on Tottenham losing. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to sportsbet.io, which is SP. O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. And if you want to find out about any promotions they have, do head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. And lastly, let's talk about Coin Tracker. Now, this is a bonus show. So this is their penultimate show. So I do want to give them a final boost. I'm going to give a big thanks also to John, Chandon and EJ for supporting the show over the last three months. Really appreciate you becoming a sponsor of the show. I did also record a bonus show with Chandon to talk about the implications of tax and Bitcoin tax. So you might want to check that out. Now, as tax season is upon us, it is time to get your shit together. And this year, I used Cointracker to calculate my taxes, and it could not have been easier. I plugged in my wallets, plugged in my exchanges, and my tax was calculated in two minutes. Now, listen, I don't want to pay my tax. I don't want to support the man, but I also don't want to go to jail. So I do pay my tax. If you don't, that's cool. I support you, but I do. Now, with Cointracker, filings work in the US, UK, Canada, and Australia, and it's free for anyone who has 200 or fewer transactions. And for listeners of the show... If you want to get 10% off, you can use the link cointracker.io forward slash A forward slash WBD. And if you want to access Cointracker, it is spelt C-O-I-N-T-R-A-C-K-E-R dot I-O. So what is the profile of the people using Bitcoin, though? So my experience in Venezuela is that it was not used by the poorer, the lower class almost entirely. Now, it's not to say there aren't. I just didn't meet anybody. It was the the middle class who were using it as a way of uh, earning money. They would use it to earn money, whether it's trading or mining. And they would hold their wealth in Bitcoin. And every week they would transfer out what they need in terms of bolivars on a weekly basis. But it was it was a it was a, a tool of the middle class. What was your experience? Yes, actually the same. So I think that the the really the poor people they can't afford. I mean, you also have to have the education, you know. And as I said before, they have uh, eco cash. They're using eco cash on their phones because they can't afford internet access. You know, when you earn ten US dollar a month. How can you pay internet access for 30 US dollar? You know, it's not possible. So mm-hmm. it's the middle class, yeah. And and also people who are more educated, uh, people who like to do digital stuff like programmers or online entrepreneurs like the people I met. 
And yes, the, the elite in a way who have heard from Bitcoin many years ago and definitely use it as an asset. Do you think there's any opportunity for Bitcoin with the the lower and the lower class and the poorer people? I'll tell you my my view on Venezuela afterwards. But did you think there's any opportunity? I think yes, but it's difficult. You know, I think the first thing that there should be is a possibility to earn little amounts of Bitcoin, like earn Lightning. I mean, there's a great project, I think, which is called Stackwork. You can earn lightning doing click work, like micro tasks on your smartphone. And people, there, I've seen many, many people, also the poorer ones, I think, yes, with, with smartphones. So I think the, the higher problem is the internet connection. And this Stackwork project, for instance, you do not have to know anything about Lightning or Bitcoin. You can just use it and then you go and pay out the sets you earned over BitRefill into your airtime for your phone. So in Zimbabwe and also in Botswana, it's possible to send the sets you earned over Stackwork to BitRefill and your phone is uh, gets a new refill. And people need the airtime and, you know, they, they sell everything. So you could also sell your airtime, I guess. So I think it's a possibility, but Bitcoin, ha or like, like say, Bitcoin projects have to think about these, the properties around, you know. The, the developers, I think, need to know that it's not possible to have internet and that people have to earn money. They can't buy Bitcoin. They have to earn it in a way. So I think that would be the way to adoption in a way. Right. Okay. What, what did you... Well, so my, my thing about it is that I noticed in Venezuela a couple of things. People are living on less than $5 a month. So one of mm -hmm. the issues is transaction fees. So so the um, the base chain is almost unusable. Mm -hmm. uh, also, there's a high risk if they buy any Bitcoin that the volatility will be very damaging to them, a 10% a mm -hmm. falling. I mean, for example, over the last month, that would be devastating for somebody on a monthly basis. Obviously, it can be good when it goes up, but it's devastating when it goes down. The There really needs to only be uh, lightning-based Bitcoin for for most of these people just because of the transaction fees. Uh, the other thing I notice is there's no culture of saving because most people are living hand-to-mouth every month, barely scraping by, to even consider trying to teach them about what is now really the, the most common narrative is that Bitcoin is a savings technology, the hodl, right? To teach, mm -hmm. try and teach some people about this new volatile currency that is a savings technology is kind of alien to people who, who are really struggling month by month to get by. And the problem in someone like Venezuela, it is the majority of the population. Yeah, I see that too. And there's another thing in, in Africa, in Southern Africa, that we Westerners or Europeans are not used to. We always say Bitcoin is freedom money. It's self-sovereignty. It's individualism, you know. This doesn't work in Southern Africa. People have a community sense. The community is the first and foremost thing. They, they are how shall I say, they are responsible for their community, you know. So mm. everything you do, you have to, to, to share it with your community. All the money you earn, everything, you're responsible. So the branding for Bitcoin in a way there should, in my 
or also in the, the, the opinion of people there, not be its uh, money for individuals or uh, a hedge against the system, you know. It should be more like it's supporting the community. It's good for the community. It's helping the community to buy machines or to build to, to build a borehole because we need water. So I think the, the naming or the, the branding in a way, if we can say so, um, of us people who try to get Bitcoin knowledge out uh, and about should be more like it's community money. It's helping and not more the of these uh, alternative we don't need the government stuff you know yeah so b when people talk about um bitcoin saving venezuela i was like no it won't what what the people in venezuela need is better governance and a removal of a, a leadership which is essentially controlling the guns and controlling the country that's what the people need that's what democracy yeah. I know the libertarians don't even believe in democracy, but I believe the next step for Venezuela's democracy and good governments and a removal of corruption. That, that's the most important thing for the people of that country right now. Not exactly. Exactly, it's the same. It's the same uh, in Zimbabwe, but I guess I mean with all those currency controls and money. Um, sending controls, people immediately understand what you're talking about and uh, they want to try it. I mean, the interest is there uh, in, in the sense like people want to get educated. And the problem is in 2017, there were so many scams that are built on Bitcoin. I mean, we know, we always talk about these scams so that people really relate to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as something bad. So there's so much education and awareness needed before it could really set off in a way that I think that it's really important to do some educational stuff there, you know, support people because they also, they can't watch YouTube videos, you know. Everybody says, yeah, look, uh, watch a YouTube video to learn about Bitcoin. People can't watch YouTube there. It's not possible, you know. So... Yeah, we should maybe, if we want that people in Zimbabwe and other African countries can use Bitcoin, we maybe should support them in that way that we collaborate with them, ask them how they feel it could get more awareness and work together with them. Um, yeah, I th and, and also, but by the way, one thing I should say is that even though I'm dismissing its use, practical use for people who don't have very much money, that's not to say we should ignore the fact that there is a, um, there are middle and upper classes in, in these countries and we shouldn't demonise anybody who has escaped poverty. And also, if they've escaped poverty and living under inflation, they too should and deserve the right to use Bitcoin to, to battle against that themselves. Uh, my, my, my view on it is, is that these numbers of people are very, very small. And also, I do think there is the opportunity for some form of remittance. People who are leaving Venezuela, uh, sorry, well, Venezuela or Zimbabwe to go out and earn money, they can potentially use Bitcoin to send money back. That That is an opportunity. But mm. like you've said, is people don't have the mobile phones or the data contracts or the ability to receive it back. So I think the, the nuance of it is is really important. Did you notice any other blind spots with regards to Bitcoin? Um, I'll give you one example. I think a big blind spot globally, especially in third world places, is key management. Um, I think, so when I was in El Salvador, we had people living in mud huts. <laughs> so I can't see them having a billfold hidden where they live. Uh, so I think key management is a is a bit of a blind spot. Did you notice any other blind spots? 
I, I would say, yes, you're right. Key management is really difficult. There's also a thing in Zimbabwe, um, even the guy I talked with who's into Bitcoin since many years, he has never seen a hardware wallet before. I mean, I, I brought some hardware wallets and the card wallets and the Raspi Blitz to Zimbabwe and Africa. And this guy, he has never, never seen a hardware wallet before because you can't get it there. And for most people, of course, it's much too expensive. Um, but uh, I think this is also a blind spot that we don't support those countries with um, hardware or, or things that they can even afford, you know, I mean. How do you want to buy a hardware wallet when you only earn 10 US dollar a month? Mm -hmm. So key management and because one of the things is, is even if you manage to convince somebody and they saved up a bit of Bitcoin, it could at some point be, be worth quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But if in that process you haven't had the ability to put in place your own secure procedures for key management and, and security, you're running a, you're running a high risk. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I didn't really... I mean, I've been to such a place, you know, where I talk about the mud huts. Uh, we bought a chicken there. And I, I mean, first and foremost, I couldn't imagine actually that people there use Bitcoin now. I mean, for what, you know? So in terms of... You ran uh, a couple of classes, right? You you, you ran a couple of uh, introduction talks. Oh, yeah. What kind of people came to that did you did you have a chance to chat to many of the people come in was it a broad spectrum of pre people coming uh to be honest yes and no um <laughs> it, uh, no actually because the first thing was in harare it was at the co-working space and when i got there they had facebook developer meetup on the saturday and they said okay it's fine it's great that you're here yes uh talk about bitcoin and uh, so actually, I think this group was like 60 people, 70 people, mainly very young people, developers, people interested in digital stuff, people interested in startups, you know. Uh, so it was a very, would say, digital native community. And... They liked it a lot, but they also, I mean, there was one guy, he said, I would like to have such a hardware wallet. I can't afford that. How can I get that, you know? But I also had the feeling that there are some people who use it, who are educated about it, but it's really just a handful, maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. because people don't trust it. They don't trust it. They've heard so from so many scams and... Um, I had the feeling that these young people who are working digitally are really interested because they can also earn from abroad, you know, doing, there's a website, it's called afriblocks.com where mm -hmm. you can, you can have a, like find freelancers from, from Zimbabwe and you can then pay them digitally. Uh, so that's, that was one of those meetups. And the second meetup I did that was in Chaboroni in Botswana, the town where Bitcoin lady, uh, Alakanani Itirileng, is doing her Satoshi Center since 2014. She's doing meetups there regularly and is educating people about Bitcoin. So okay. those, those people there 
were already interested in Bitcoin and did know a little bit about it, but we still, we installed uh, Bitcoin wallets on their phone and uh, Alakanani then sent them small amounts of money to their phones. And they really liked it. They were, they were very enthusiastic and they, there, there are also, there were also people from Zimbabwe who are now living in Botswana. So, yeah, I think they, the young generation really knows about the positive sides. Yeah. Right. Okay. What's your experience here in Zimbabwe? Do you believe that's a lens for much of Africa with regards to Bitcoin? Yes and no, because I think in Zimbabwe, the situation, what people have lived through is worse than in other African countries. But I have to say, I have uh, never been to many other, I've been to South Africa 10 years ago. So I can't really say that, to be honest. Yeah, But from the currency side, from this changing of currency and ripping people's money off like stealing their pensions and stuff i people i think people are really more sensible there to to money and to understand that bitcoin can be a hedge against in that way you know okay okay can you talk to me about the scams that you're aware of there because i've heard about quite a few scams proliferating mm -hmm through Africa with regards to cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and also, I actually, I'm also aware because of the OneCoin show I did, there was a lot of exploitation across Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so OneCoin is definitely, definitely a thing there. And I think a big thing in Zimbabwe also was MMM. Uh, in 2017, there were many people scammed by MMM, which is a pyramid scheme, I think. And the profiteurs of this pyramid, of this MMM, then seems seemed to have used Golix as an exchange. And then there's a story about a website, which is called Be Forward. There you can buy Japanese cars, old Japanese cars. And that's interesting because nobody here in Europe buys a car over a website, but most people or many people in Zimbabwe do. So they pay uh, in, they paid in Bitcoin there. So many people used Golix to change to Bitcoin and then they bought cars there. And uh, through the scams, through MMM, many people reported uh, these scams to the police and the central bank then uh, said, so uh, it's not, you're doing that on your own risk. And then they closed uh, Golix down. So I think, I think there might be two reasons. You know, the one reason is, okay, they really didn't want their people to lose their money to the scam. But on the other hand, of course, the central bank does not want people to use cryptocurrencies because they know it's used to to uh, send money outside the country. And okay. uh, if they can't get a hold of it, then they don't want it in the country. I understand. You also went to Botswana, right? Yes. How was the experience there different? Uh, I've only been three or four days to Botswana and only okay. to the, the city, but the, the, there's a big difference. Botswana is a 
how shall I say, uh, it's more solid. You know, it's it's better off than uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, there's not so much corruption. The the average income is a little bit higher, I think. So I think life is a bit better there, but only relative to Zimbabwe. Yeah, people okay. still struggle. Yeah. So similar but different. <laughs> yeah, a little bit better, I would say. <laughs> okay. So how, how, do, how would you summarize your whole experience? What, what were the biggest takes you had from it? And also, let me add into that, has it changed your thinking with regards to Bitcoin at all? So hmm, I was not aware of the problems people have with the internet connection there so that it's not so easy to install a wallet for instance um, I of course wasn't aware I mean I was always told like we don't have water we don't have petrol but it's different when you see it for yourself or you have to live through it and um, it really changed my perspective on, on Zimbabwe in a way because now I really I felt this depression, you know. Yeah, like I know pe- exactly pe- how you feel. People, pe- people are depressed there. There's mass depression, I was told. Because since 40 years, this country has only gone worse, you know. I mean, the, the colonization, of course, is a bad thing in a way, yeah. But in the 80s, in the 90s, this country had everything. They had hospitals, they had rails, uh, train, trains, working trains. Um, it was the, how do you say that, bread, the bread basket of, of the whole Africa. Mm-hmm. And now everything is different, you know. Well, and, the parallels um, uh, with, with Venezuela are so similar because yeah. Venezuela was at one point the richest country in south america so the parallels yes. between the two are quite clear and it, it, for me it's a real highlight of how poor governance can destroy a country how a dictator can destroy the hopes and the dreams of millions of people yeah definitely because uh this teacher she also told me this corruption is now a part of the society so it's everywhere you know and and to get that back, like to 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 a less corrupt um, society, it's difficult, you know. And it's sad because people—that's the the upside, you know. People are so nice, so open, so kind, and um, as soon as you are there, you're a part of their family in a way. And um, that's really the point. That's also what many people told me. When I asked them, "Why do you stay here? If you have the possibility to leave the country, why do you stay?" Because of the people and the climate, of course, but mostly because of the people. And my friend also told me when I said, why, why do you stay there? It's so hard. Why? And she said, yeah, it's hard. But on the other hand, it's not so you don't have so much regulation like here. So you can try out new things all the time. You can in, you, or you have to invent yourself. You know, people who hustle have to invent themselves every day new and that's that's one of the things the people and the country and the resources that are there and yeah i i mean with this now corona i mean what shall i say it's only getting worse yeah so what was the status when you left because when i we're at similar times i'm trying to remember but as far as i remember 
we're at the point where we were starting to see the first few cases of coronavirus outside of China. I think we had the first one of these cruise lines that was uh, having quite a spread. I think it was in Japan, perhaps Taiwan, but we were starting, just starting to see the first stories, but there was no coronavirus, as I'm aware, at that point. In I'm, I'm not sure about the whole of South America, but certainly not Venezuela. But now things are very different. What, what was the situation when you were there? When I came at the beginning of February, uh, in Europe, on Twitter, we already had these discussions, you know. It's coming and it will be, yeah, it will be difficult. So when I got there... I was, uh, my fever was measured twice, once in uh, South Africa, in Johannesburg at the airport, and then also in the, at the airport in Harare. Let me ask you, and what, did you have anything in Austria when you got back? No. So when I got back, that's the funny thing. When I got yeah. back three weeks later, no, uh, I, I flew from Harare to Gaborone then. And in Gaborone, I had to fill out a form also. So that was one step up. But when I left four days, four days later, there was nothing. I had the same. So when I got to El Salvador, I had my temperature measured and I had to fill in a form. When I got back to Heathrow, there was nothing. And look, the government said that these takings of the, the temperature are not useful uh, mm -hmm. uh, for stopping the spread. But I don't know. There was something in it. I mean, I don't know either way. I was just surprised that we weren't doing anything. Yeah, me too. But, you know, on the other hand, when I got there, nobody was talking about that in Africa. People wondered why are there no cases in Africa and Zimbabwe. And I thought to myself, yeah, man, I mean, there are no test kits, you know. How, how would you know? I mean, how would you know how many cases there are in countries like that? Even we don't know. So, yeah. Do you know what the status is? Have you followed up? Do you know what the status is now? Yeah. Because I know I, they've, been, they've started the lockdown, right? Exactly. They started the lockdown, I think, from today on for the next 21 days. But I think it's very difficult in a society that lives from hand to mouth to, to, to close people in. I mean, how should they, of what should they live now if they can't work? And it's, uh, I've seen it's also in India, it's the same. People are leaving the, the cities, like thousands of them, and uh, going home to the countryside, to the, the, the communities where they come from. So I guess this will spread the virus. And also the, the the other thing where you again see that this is mm, not a free country. They don't have free speech. Uh, the not not a minister, but uh, the secretary of information has stated uh, also on Twitter a statement by the government that it's illegal or you can have a fine up to one year in prison if you say something what's not right about Corona online on social media and stuff. Yeah, well, that's concerning. We've seen something similar in Hungary with the change, change to the laws there. The, yeah. the, the lady I interviewed in Africa, like I said, the thing she said to me, again, which stood out, was that people would rather die of starvation than from the virus. And this is because I think Africa is used to viruses and illnesses a little bit more than, say, we are in the UK. 
I don't know the exact countries specifically for Ebola, but Ebola is something that's left a scar and a fear across Africa. But there's cholera, there is AIDS, there's various things that spread. So there, there is this kind of natural fear. But she said, look, these people have got nothing. You can't tell them just to go and self-isolate for a month without having any food. It's, it's not like us. They can't just go to the supermarket and stock up on some food and just sit in their house or take their daily trip to the supermarket. Yeah, and exactly. And you and can't buy stuff online. I mean, you yeah. can't buy online food, you know. I mean, we have delivery here, but they don't. I, I've, I'm, I have a huge and significant fear for what's going to happen in third world countries now with people told. Um, I mean, people will just have to defy the stay-at-home orders because they will not have the ability to, to eat. We're, we're talking about potential starvation here. So I think people will just defy it and we'll see a lot of social unrest, a lot of clashes between security forces yeah. and, and the people. And I think I think what we're seeing, we're seeing a, a, essentially quite a civilised response in, in the West. I, I've seen some outbreaks of social unrest in Italy. I'm, I'm certain we'll see more and we've seen some in China. But I think the social unrest in uh, third world countries will be on a different scale to what we're experiencing. Maybe, uh, I don't know, yeah. Yeah. But the the hoarding has started yet, so so people are just uh, were allowed last week to go into the supermarket only in blocks of twenty people and stuff. And mealy meal, the basic staple diet, was sold out again. I mean, you can't get it anyhow, but now it's even more difficult. So there are people. Buy mealy meal if it's available. Go outside the store and sell it for three times the price or something so yeah just just back to one of my other questions sorry i'm not sure if you fully answered it but has this experience changed your or shifted your worldview on bitcoin at all not really because i'm 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 into bitcoin because of the possibility to support human rights and support people's lives so it actually has strengthened uh, the idea of that it is a good tool for that, or it would be. Um, I mean, of course, it gets you a little bit on the bottom when you realize that it's just a handful of people, maybe, or 200 or 300 people in a country of 16 million uh, that are using Bitcoin at the moment. And then they tell you they trade with it. And I think, okay, hmm, okay. But on the other hand, if it's a, a possibility for you to earn some money, then that's fine too. I hope you do uh, earn some money and not lose. But actually... Mm, it just has strengthened my idea of that being a, a good tool, yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, it will it will take time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, what what what's the plans next? Where do you want to go next? Are you thinking about anything else? Uh, at the moment, I can't think about anything else because we are yeah we don't know yeah. when this will stop. But actually, I was invited to a conference to speak there in November in Zimbabwe, and I would really love to go. And also, the plan would be maybe to do a conference with Alakanani Itirileng in Botswana. She wants to invite the the, the government uh, people also to educate them about Bitcoin. But yeah, we'll see. This would be the, the next bigger thing. And I mean, now, since all the conferences and everything are cancelled or postponed, I, I have no plans at the moment, actually. You, what, what are your plans? 
Well, the same. I'm just stuck at home, so focusing everything on doing things from here, which is disappointing because uh, I've obviously done my first couple of films and I was getting to quite into uh, making yeah. films now, so I can't do that right now, which is a shame. I'm not sure if you've seen either of mine yet. But, um, oh, I uh, yeah, I, I have seen one or two of yours. They are great, yeah. I think. And it's the uh, same for me. It, it would have been yesterday, I think, I would have had my first talk on a big Bitcoin conference, the one in San Francisco. And so I'm really like, wow, and now I did this uh, huge effort of this uh, travel and this report and stuff. And now everything is cancelled. But I mean, we are, we are all in this together. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well, listen. Look, but, um, it's been great getting to know you over this last. I think it's about a year now, right? I think it's longer, isn't it? Even longer. I'm oh, not sure. Bitcoin years <laughs> are funny. They're they're they're, they're hard to uh, measure. But I've known you for quite some time now. We've hung out a, f a few events. It's been great to get to know you. I think you do fantastic work, um, and I appreciate you going out into the into the actual field to see what's going on in other places. I think it's really important that we do that. It'd be nice to see more of that. So I really appreciate everything you're doing, and, and I'm glad I've got you as a friend. But, uh, yeah, so to tell people how to find out more about what you do. Or were you about uh, to say I something? Want, Have I interrupted yeah, you? I want, <laughs> I want to add something. I can oh. only say the same back to you. Thank you very much. And also, you were the reason why I could go there, because you were the first one who said, I pay the flights, I pay the flights for you. And I'm very thankful for you, because this was the reason why this all really took off. Thanks for that. Oh, no worries. I think you would have found a way anyway. Uh, Maybe, but you know, sometimes you need uh, people who support you in the right moment. And that was that, you know. Well, I've had a lot of people support me, so it was not a problem. I, I knew <laughs> it was important for you to go out there. So look, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm glad to have you as a friend. Tell people how to find your work, Anita. Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, they can find my podcast on every big or also small podcast player. It's Bitcoin and CO. And the website is also bitcoinandco.com. Uh, they can also write me an email to hello at anitaposh.com. I'm also at Twitter and on all the other platforms. Brilliant. Okay, well, listen, look, good luck with everything you do. Stay in touch, stay healthy, stay safe, and anything you ever need, you know you can reach out to me. Thank you very much, Peter, and thanks for this time. Thanks. Okay, what did you think of that one? I do love Anita. I do love catching up with her. Whenever I go to an event, I know she's there. It's always great to see her. And it was really great to find out more about what she was doing in Zimbabwe. Now, I was hoping to get out to Africa this year. I was meant to be there now. I wanted to spend a whole month there. I was going to try to go to about six or seven countries and just find out if and how people are using Bitcoin. But with coronavirus, all my travel plans have been halted. So the next best thing I can give you is Anita to talk about her experience in Zimbabwe, which was really interesting. Now, there are many parallels between her trip and mine to Venezuela. And I think that if Bitcoiners want widespread adoption of Bitcoin in some of these countries, then there needs to be a bit more of a reality-based conversation regarding some of the problems people will be having adopting Bitcoin in these countries. For a lot of people in some of these poorest countries, the main concern is just getting enough food to feed their families. Saving is a luxury, and sometimes it's just not culturally something people do. So if they're not used to saving and they don't want Bitcoin for saving, then it has to be medium of exchange. And then this takes us to some of the other problems with regards to educational barriers or perhaps technical barriers. So this is an important conversation that I think needs to happen. So yes, very interesting to hear from Anita. I fully support her work. I hope she gets to continue to travel and hopefully it won't be too long till I can travel again and, and go to some of these countries and see how Bitcoin is used myself. 
As ever, thanks for listening to the show. If you have any feedback, do feel free to hit me up. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I hope you're all keeping safe and well. It's some really crazy times right now. Really interesting to see how people are adapting to the situation. A lot of craziness, but also some positives coming out of it. I don't know about you, but I mean, I've just got back to cooking healthy meals myself, which is a good thing. Exercising more, which is good. Anyway, if you want to reach out to me, do I do reply to anyone as long as it's not a nonsense email. And also, if you want some additional content, please do go and check out my other show, Defiance. A lot of work goes into that. A lot of interesting interviews there as well. That's it, Defiance.news. And you can also watch my films there. Okay, take care, and I will see you all soon.